So the first week um, on this series, this is the last week now in this series. Okay. Uh, sorry, mate. Yeah, has, has to end all good things and all that. Um, so the first week we talked about um, uh, the universal church, and we compared that to the local church. Or rather, we, we, we put those two things. What, what, how are they both different? Um, and we talked about we subdivided the local church the way that it's translated from scripture, from the words ecclesia or ecclesia and phononia. Um, the second week uh, we talked about family, and the church ideally is a family. Uh, and that's what we should be looking at it as. And, and when we gather together, we should gather together not as a, as a meeting, but we should refer to it like a family reunion. So every Sunday we have a family reunion. And then last week, a little bit more serious last week, um, a little bit more kind of challenging, I think, was about that we are a family, but we're also a community. And we're a community that needs to gather together. Uh, and that having Sundays off and this, that, and the other, or, not, or even not coming to church at all and thinking you can do this Christianity thing on your own, um, I challenge that, uh, that, that uh, preconception, I challenge that perspective, should I say, and, um, and, and really hopefully left you with um, a sense of hope that, that as church is the primary vehicle to advance God's kingdom, gathering together and being equipped is extremely helpful. Yeah, yeah? that's right. Okay, so this week, now this week, I can't decide whether to subtitle it, Church on a Mission, or Gotta Find Bubba. And you'll, you'll, you'll understand what I mean in a little while. So at the end, I'm going to ask you whether I should be calling it Church on a Mission, or Gotta Find Bubba. Uh, and that will become, uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll understand what I mean by that in a little while. I'm going to kind of hand the coat of today's talk on um, this statement. Every believer has been given a mission by God to advance his kingdom and get back his lost children. We will share the good news with others when we have a missional mindset and not a selfish one. Every believer has been given a mission by God to advance his kingdom and get back his lost children. We will share the good news with others when we have a missional mindset, not a selfish one. What do you think of and it'd be good to have some answers, actually. What do you think of when you hear the word mission? What images come to your mind? Just give me a shout-out. Big tent. What's that? A big tent. A big tent. A big tent. A big, a big tent. People with a purpose. Okay. What images also come to mind? So a big tent, people with a purpose. Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. Haven't thought about that one. Thank you, Josh. That's good. I think it's good. I'm trying to work out the spirituality of that. Rockets to the moon. All right, cool, cool. Any, anybody at the front row? Anybody? Mission? No? Okay. Military operation. Military, oh, military operation. All right, so we've got big tents, uh, um, people, what was that you said? People with a mission, a purpose. Outward looking. Outward looking. Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, any particular one? Okay, we'll come back to that. Um, rocket to the moon, I think, is, is a mission to the moon. Uh, and I think that was it, wasn't it? Um, okay, well, yeah, they're all good outside-of-the-box thinking, I think, on that. Um, let's bring it down to possibly what, how we perceive missions to a Christian context. And I think, you know, you might imagine small huts in remote jungles of South America. Or you might imagine in your mind a row of African women wearing colourful robes lining up for a photo. Do you know what I mean? Like a National Geographic style kind of photo. 
Or maybe when you hear the word missions, <laughs> you see yourself filling in another offerings envelope. Because you're going to be asked at the end, oh, where's my little cup there? You're going to be asked at the end to give an offering to support some other mission that's happening somewhere in the world. Well, that's not today. Uh, so you can, you can put that, you can put your mind at ease. I'm not going to ask you for an offering today. For many of us in church, not just here, the word mission just suggests something. I think, you know, in terms of rocket and, you know, whatever, it suggests something far away from where we are right now. Now, I believe to a degree, this imagining might be based in ways of thinking from a number of decades ago. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and I think maybe today we're a bit more savvy about what we, what we mean by mission. So, I do, I, so when I became a Christian in 2001, and even then, when people talked about mission, it was that going to another country to be missional, to bring Christ to the, the uncivilized, those that that weren't living right, that's, that's the kind of, even then, 2001, that was the kind of thinking that, that I heard from people. But I think, right now, I think we've probably moved on in what we mean a little bit by mission. But mission, I think, is best thought of, and Hillary came closest to this statement, which is living on mission for God. Living on mission for God. It's not only for the few who leave or sell all their possessions and move to some distant, faraway land. According to God's word, missions is for every believer. Missions is for every believer. Are you all believers here this morning? Okay. Then it's for you. Missions is for you. We don't need to work in church. We don't need to travel to another country to be a missionary. Every Christian can and should be a missionary. Regardless of your vocation or your, lo- uh, your location, everyone everywhere needs to hear the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Awesome. Well, let me back that up with some scripture. Why don't we now turn or tap open your Bible apps to Romans 10, verse 14 and 15. Romans 10, verse 14 and 15. So if you've got an iPad or a Kindle, why don't you turn to that? If you've got a book, the dead tree version, why don't you turn to that? Because your battery won't go on that one, will it, Alan? Romans 10, 14. I'm going to read from the amplified version. So it'll be a bit longer than yours if you haven't got that one. But how will people call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher, messenger? And how will they preach unless they are commissioned and sent for that purpose? Just as it is written, and forever remains written. That's an important bit bit of a sentence to note. Forever remains written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Isn't that cool? In this chapter, Romans, Paul, who is the author of of this book, he's been explaining to his readers previously the basics of salvation. And he gives his answers to to questions that we will have all had, I'm pretty sure, at some point. Questions like, what is salvation? You know, if if somebody was to ask you, what is salvation? I don't want an answer now, but what would you say? In, in, In a language that they would understand. What would you say? Well, Paul answers it by saying salvation 
is a right relationship with God by grace through faith. But if you were speaking to somebody who didn't know Jesus, you would even have to unpack that. But we know what he means by that. Another question is, who is salvation for? Again, Paul answers by saying it's for whoever will believe Jesus died and rose again and will confess him as their Lord. And how can salvation be shared? Someone has got to go tell people about the gospel. It's pretty, pretty simple, that one, isn't it? Someone has got to go tell people about the gospel. In verse 14, Paul turns his theological discussion into an appeal to his readers. And that's those who were reading his letter then, and that's those who are reading his letter now. He asks a simple but profound question in verse 14. How are people going to believe the gospel if they've never had the opportunity to hear it? In order to believe it, they have to have had an opportunity to hear it. And someone has to take it to them. In verse 14, the Greek word kuruso, which has been translated into preacher, literally means a herald, a proclaimer, or, as I've said in the, I read in the Amplified Version, a messenger. So Caruso, preacher, herald, or proclaimer. No one can hear a message without a messenger sharing it. Is that true? All of us who are Christian, we have been called to proclaim the good news that we have seen and we have heard and we have experienced for ourselves. That's every single one of us. Every single one of us. No exceptions, no timeouts, no comebacks, no excuses. Serious business, isn't it? Our primary purpose as believers is to share Jesus with the world so that other people can get to know him too. Now, I'm going to show a movie clip right now. It's from Forrest Gump. Who watched Forrest Gump? Okay. Now, his platoon are under severe attack in a heavy combat zone. And you'll see that he repeatedly risks his own safety to save the lives of his friends. Now, just to warn you, although there's not any overt bloodshed here, it is a war zone. So if that is something that you might be a little bit upset by, then maybe you want to just close your eyes for the next three or four minutes. I don't think it's that bad, um, but that's just me. I, I watch a lot of stuff. So I'm just giving you a fair warning, but it's an amazing movie, uh, amazing clip to give you an analogy of what I'm going to talk and after. So are we ready with that clip? Bubba. Bubba was my best good friend. I had to make sure that he was okay. on my way back to find Bubba, well, that was this boy laying on the ground. Tex. Okay. I couldn't just let him lay there all alone and scared the way he was. So I grabbed him up and 
run him out of there. I went back looking for Bubba. Somebody else was saying, help me, Forrest, help me. I started to get scared that I might never find Bubba. I know my position is danger close. We got Charlie all over this area. I gotta have those fast movers in here now. Over. Lieutenant Dan Coleman's there. I know he's dead. But he's all platoon is wiped out. What are you doing? Just leave me here. Get away. Just leave me here. Get out. God, I said leave me here. Then it felt like something just jumped up and bit me. I think could call Forrest selfish there. C could you? You couldn't really call Forrest selfish, could you? Throughout, throughout the movie of, of Forrest Gump, we, we see him just giving what he had consistently. And, and in this clip in particular, he risked his life to, to help those he loved. His whole platoon, but especially his friend called Bubba. And, and that clip is a really powerful illustration of how serious our task is in reaching those who are lost. Those who are, through sin, are metaphorically injured and dying. If not in some countries, literally so. But like Bubba, we, we've just got to keep going back into the war zone. Back to save the lost kids that God loves despite any cost that we may have to ourselves. Not despite Bubba, sorry, a bit like, it's like forest. We've got to keep going back into the war zone. Because that is God's purpose for each and every one of us on earth. And that's why he, he keeps us on earth. That's why he doesn't immediately take us up to be with him in heaven once we become a Christian. Did you ever consider that? Why, why, when I became, why don't I just go to heaven if that's like the best place to be? Well, the answer is because of God's mission that he's given us. Our mission is to keep going back to find our bubbers. To share Jesus with them. So that they might be rescued from sin and to relationship with God too. Said last week, it's so serious that we've got to do it today. Because the person that we didn't reach might not have tomorrow. 
And so if we didn't step out of our selfishness into, a, into selflessness, then somebody who could have gone to heaven ain't going to heaven anymore. That's how serious it is. We've all been given a mission by God to advance his kingdom and to get back his lost children. But here's the thing, most of us will never become a world-renowned evangelist. 98% of you will never be called to full-time, that salary-reliant vocational church ministry. 98% of the church worldwide is made up of people who aren't in church leadership. So clearly 2% of the church can't do all the work, can they? The 2% are there to equip the 98% to go on God's mission. We're all called to share whatever we have. To be a witness of Jesus. And to testify of our own experiences with the living God. To proclaim what we know is true in order to do our part in rescuing a fallen world. God's mission comes back to primarily using the local church to find the lost and advance his kingdom. It says in verse 15 of Romans 10 that no one will go and share unless they are sent to do so. So who does the sharing? The answer is us. Sorry, the sending. It's us. We do the sending. The local church, the ground level operatives who live right here among the natives. It's our job to send one another, to train one another, to encourage one another to keep getting up and to keep going back out there, to help one another discover our gifts and unique ways of proclaiming the good news. The news that has meant life or death for every one of us who believe. And when we do, we'll find that the ancient prophet quoted in this verse is right. We indeed have beautiful feet when we're running with a beautiful message. Now, talking of feet, we're going to show another clip, guys, so you're going to be ready in a moment. Let's take a moment to watch this clip. And let me just say this. If feet scare you, now is the time to look away for the next two or three minutes. secret actually is their feet you know everyone says they watch ballet and the movement's so beautiful but once you take our shoes off they're not the prettiest thing is to see our dancer feet <laughs>
I was 12 years old when I went on point. Uh, you need to have at least five years of training before you go on point because you really you need really strong ankles in order to get up there on your toes. Um, I was so excited when I got my first pair of point shoes. When you're 12, it was about one hour a week, whereas now we do about eight hours a day on our toes. So it's a lot, pretty grueling, a lot of pain. <laughs> Um, for me, I just wear this layer between my toes and my point shoes. It's a, kind of a layer of, of gel that's in it, what's called a toe pad. So I just wear those around my shoes. Other girls sometimes tape their shoes, tape their toes. Um, sometimes on really, really bad days, I know other dancers have used things like Ambisol to numb teeth and gums for babies. They use those on their toes. Um, so you numb your toes so you don't feel the pain. And painkillers, of course. Tylenol, ibuprofen, all those great things that get us through the day when our toes are really sore. <laughs> Every dancer has their own way of getting their shoes ready. Um, for myself, I use an X-Acto knife on the bottom of my shoes and I scrape that down so that there's not a level a platform so it's level. It also helps for traction to have it scraped down and it's different, like obviously you can see those scrapes, it goes lower in different parts and I do that on purpose so that I have more traction on the stage. I also cut uh, my shoe here and take that part of my, sh this is called a shank, that part of my shank out so that it bends easier. Um, some girls will put their shoes in a door um, to squish it. I usually just use my hands to squish it to make it softer so it's not rock hard and it's quieter for your first day on the stage. Um, and our shoes, they can last us um, usually as much as a week if we really, really take care of them and we're really switching our shoes. We usually have about four pairs going at a time. We never get pedicures during the season, <laughs> um, maybe in the summer, especially if you have a wedding. I try and avoid wearing open-toed shoes outside the studio. <laughs> Even though it is a lot of agony on the feet, a lot of long, hard days, um, it's worth it, just doing a job that you love to do. It's a, there's a saying, actually, that an older dancer had said to me when I was really young that I'll always remember, and they said, dance with the heart and your feet will follow. Uh, clearly, ballet dancers um, pay a high price to be the best uh, at, their, at their art, and this clip's quite tame, but I did watch some videos where the dancers' feet are, are so worn, so beaten, and to be frank, the toes look weirdly out of shape. Um, uh, professional dancers, uh, I read, often refuse to let other people see their feet outside of the dance studio. All that suffering... All that, all that preparation and pain so that they gain mastery over the art of movement, which, although I'm not into it, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, what she was doing there at the end, that's... If you've ever tried it, maybe we should all try it right now. You ready? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's not easy. Might have had a little go. Um, but I, so I'm not a fan, but, but I do admire the, the respect and the lens that they go to to enable them to perform their craft to an amazing degree. And, and here's a thought. Here's a thought for you. Maybe professional dancers have an alternative standard of beautiful feet. The more worn, the more battered, the more honor they feel they brought to their performance. God 
paid the ultimate price. The life of his only son. In order to achieve the restoration of his lost children to himself. And I think that we should be willing to get our feet messy. By going and sharing the good news. Messy feet are truly beautiful by God's standard. I love the statement that the woman says at the end of this clip. Did, did you catch it? I know Pete did because I'm struggling to, to write it down. It said, dance with your heart and your feet will follow. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Dance with your heart and your feet will follow. If we choose to love the lost like God loves them, if we allow our heart for the broken to line up with God's heart, then our feet will follow. And we will want to do all we can to bring them into his kingdom. There is a cost to living uh, with God's mission placed above our own selfishness. Many Christians around the world put their lives at risk by just owning a Bible. And in fact, that book, the one by Brother Yun, Heavenly Man, you were not allowed to own a Bible. And people would burst into houses and check and, and punish you severely if they found you had a Christian Bible. And in that book, one of the first few chapters, he talks about how amazing it was. I, don't, I can't recall the detail now how he came across it that he found a page of the Bible and he kept that safe and secure. Just one page of one bit of the Bible, so valuable to him because A, what it could mean if he was found with it, but because what it did mean to have it in his hands. So when we're here on a morning and we haven't brought our Bible, that's really sad because we're living in a nation where we can read it freely, we can, we can share it freely. And so let's never abuse that privilege by not having our Bibles with us, on a, particularly on a Sunday. But let's not abuse the privilege by never reading it because people give their lives for it in other countries. There's closed countries such as Saudi Arabia, North Korea and Sudan that if you share the gospel with a neighbor, that will mean punishment if you're caught. That'll mean imprisonment, possibly, and maybe, maybe even death. But our brothers and sisters in these countries are still willing to risk it. They're still willing to step out and, and tell people about Jesus. I want us, I'm feeling right now, by the Spirit, I, I want us to really consider that. It's not good that they're, they're punished and imprisoned and and even put to death. That's, that's, obviously, that's not good. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what we need in this country by any means of the stretch of the imagination. What I'm saying is that, that there's something in them that means I'm willing to risk it all. All. I guess because it's a win-win, isn't it? They win people for Jesus, so they get to go to be with Jesus. It's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is you're leaving lots of people behind that might have liked you to have been on earth for a bit longer. It's how serious this is, that we need to be people that are willing to share the gospel, the good news with our friends, our neighbors, our work colleagues, 
our, our fellow students, our sons, our daughters. Because they might not have a tomorrow. And we need to give them an eternal one. Our challenge. No, actually, at times I think some of us in the UK church can get a little stressed when we think about doing anything that might reach the lost that risks our convenience, our comfort, our busy lives. Our challenge together, together, is to embrace God's mission over our own selfishness. Put aside our own fears and distractions. And when I've stepped out, personally, when I've stepped out, I've discovered that the reward of partnering with God is worth the cost. When you've got that story to tell, that somebody has given their life to Christ because you are part of that, that journey. I mean, what, it's amazing, isn't it? What a privilege. What a privilege. On a personal level, I'm not sure that I do that enough. So I'm holding my hand up and saying to you, I don't think I do it enough. I want to do more. And I hope that we all recognize the same challenge, that, that we can all do more. We just need to reprioritize things. Because a Christian life, it's not primarily about us. It's about God's mission. And that's scary, but it's selfless. It's scary, but it's selfless. I want us to take a moment just to, to think back to our own salvation stories. That's what we started with by asking the question, what is salvation? Take a, take a moment before I go on. Take a moment. Think about your salvation story, about how you came to faith. When did you hear about God's unrelenting love for you? And the cost that he paid to get you back? What if no one had gone out of his or her way to share the gospel with you? Invited you to a local church gathering? Or even a life group? If... if all right. Obviously, I wanted to have a drink with Kathy, so there was an ulterior motive to me asking her out. But what if, what if in the early part of our relationship, she didn't eventually talk about her faith to me? Would I be stood right here, right now? What if, what if her family decided that? I was a sinner, not yet given his life to God, and therefore their daughter couldn't date him, me. What if they'd taken that position? What if they hadn't been amazing enough to invite me around for dinner and to make me listen to cassettes of poetry? <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It used to make me listen to cassettes. Maybe it was music or something. I just remember cassettes. Something, anyway. But what if they did? Because in those, around those table opportunities, apart from whatever was playing on the cassette, because I can't remember. The fact it was a cassette was weird enough. Um, 
what if, what if they hadn't invited me into their lives? Would I be standing right here, right now? They didn't answer every single question I had. They couldn't. They didn't know the answer to them. They gave me the best shot sometimes, or sometimes they said, I don't know. But Kathy and her family willing to open their hearts and their lives to me, and I'm standing here right now with an eternity ahead of me. My children, they've all given their lives to Christ. They have an eternity ahead of them now, all because of, of that open house mentality. Isn't that cool? That's part of my salvation story. In, what would your life be like now if, if you had never heard of and therefore have never had an opportunity to believe? It's a difficult question. I get that. It's, but where, where would you be? Maybe just dream a little. What would your life be like now if you've never heard of and never had an opportunity to believe? Well, in your life and mine, someone must have let go of their me to make room for God's mission. Someone must have let go of their me to invite you to that Christian foundation class, maybe like Alpha or Christianity Explored, to serve at that youth or community event. Someone must have let go of their me to invite you into their home for dinner, to pray with you in a time of need. And, and that was your entrance to your encounter with God. We're surrounded by people here in this community and in our city, obviously, who are living without God today. It is our responsibility as a local church, as a family of believers. It is our responsibility. It's not my responsibility solely. It is our responsibility our privilege, in fact, our calling to pray for them to be saved, to share with them, to invite them to Freedom Church, to tell them of our own testimony of a real God who really loves us. And obviously that's not just this community here. Your invite should be to your friends, to your family, to your work colleagues. Stepping out of that area of potential embarrassment and fear and walking in the boldness of the Spirit and of His presence and telling them about Jesus. Now, there's, I, don't, I don't need to give all the caveats to that, do I? You know, there's obviously wisdom in that and there's, there's care in that and there's, there's sensitivity in that. But if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, then you can work through that. You, you don't have to be a professional in order to tell someone what Jesus has done for you. Why don't you ask God to open your eyes, to, to, to see the people around you right now who need to know him? In your mind's eye, think of the people who need to know Jesus. Who need the hope that can only be found in him. Start practicing your, your testimony by sharing it with anyone who will hear it. <laughs> Begin praying for those in your own family. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, who need to know the gift of salvation. 
Pray for God to give you an opportunity to share Jesus with them in a very real way. Then take it when it comes. To quote Evangelist J. John. You know Evangelist J. John? Canon J. John? Posted on Twitter last year. Very simple tweet. Go on a mission. Walk next door. Go on a mission. Walk next door. That might be metaphorical for you. It might mean inviting that sister, that brother, that aunt, the uncle, the friend, the work colleague. It might be you're literally going next door. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone and we also have lots of fun in this house we definitely forgive we also do loud we give the best hugs we are family and in this house that means we, we love. love.